Thank you all very much. Man, what a beautiful version of O Come All Ye Faithful. And great singing by y'all this morning. Great, great job. Always good to have our, our praise team here and with us. And uh, thank you. Occasionally we have people that come in and, and serve with us. So thank you. Thank you, Jenna, very much for being with us. We appreciate it. Well, um, it is the Advent season. It is the Christmas season. And um, I'm excited about that. I hope everybody is. And we're going to talk about that this, this morning, about the anticipation of Advent and of Christmas, because it's not like today, right? It's the first Sunday of Advent, but then Christmas Day is not till the 25th, right? But we anticipate all the way to that day, and uh, this is a, a great season. And I know a lot of times when we're kids, we really get amped up about Christmas, and we anticipate different things. But I want to challenge us today in my message about no matter what age we are, we have an opportunity to anticipate what God's going to do in our lives and in our church and in our families through the Advent and Christmas season because they're all different. We still celebrate the same 25th of December, but every year it's different, isn't it? Because we're different. I'm different than I was last Christmas. I'm different than the Christmas before that and the Christmas before that. And so are y'all, right? And so God does something different every time. So I, I had this anticipation illustration that I had planned to use for my sermon this morning. But something happened to me yesterday, and I decided to change it. So I'm going to share this with you. So I had the uh, opportunity to go see my daughter, Leah, who was in a dance recital yesterday. Now, after the initial, who plans a dance recital on championship week, you know, um, on Saturday afternoon, and I'm going, wait a minute, that, the SEC championship's at 4 o'clock, and her recitals is at 5, and all that, you know, real unholy stuff that I was uh, doing in my head. But anyway, so we went downtown Noonan in the old auditorium there, which is a great place. And so um, as I'm walking in, I had to park far back on the street. And uh, me and my son are walking up, and uh, our family's going to meet. And, and you see all these little girls and a few little boys in their little costumes at the back of the auditorium. And parents are straightening them up, putting their costumes on, and doing their hair and all this anticipation because they're going to go on stage. So I, I walk in, and there's you know a lot of people there, and I get my program, and I start counting. I know this is bad, but I'm counting. I'm going, okay, one. And so Leah's not till 21. Okay, Will's shaking his head because he was there too. Okay, there was 21, so I got to watch. Did you hear what I said? I got to watch. 20 other programs before, you know, uh, Leah was on. So, but it, it real, so, so anyway, I think, I can't remember which one it was, but, um, and they were, they were very cute. The costumes were absolutely amazing. So this is this old auditorium. It's got this huge stage and, you know, the, the curtain does this, you know, and so the lights go down. Everybody's anticipating for each act and uh, the, it gets dark and all of a sudden the curtains open and there are the kids. So we watched several of these. And then there was one, the curtains closed, and everybody cheers, and, you know, it's great. And then the next group, and it closes, and you get ready for that. Well, all of a sudden, they opened it up, and there were these little four- and five-year-old girls. And they were in these cute little outfits. And what do you think everybody did? Perfect. Just like the first service, y'all were just perfect. That's what they did. Like, oh, and they're going, there, and we're going, there, there were they, like, four or five? How could they even do this, you know? So they start, and the music starts, and these little girls start their dance, except for one little girl. She's just frozen. She cannot move. She's looking at, there must have been two or three hundred people in there. And she's just frozen, scared. She cannot move. So she's just standing there. And the other girls are doing their thing. And you can see off stage, you can see these hands 
you know, from the coaches and the, the instructors are telling them what to do because they're kind of looking, you know, finding mom and dad, and then they're looking, what's my next move? Oh, yeah, you know. And, and this little girl, she's not doing anything. She's just frozen. She can't stop looking. You know, and they have these bells. Remember, there's the bells. They were supposed to pick them up and ring them. She's not picking up her bell. And I could see the hands going, pick the bell up. Pick the bell up, you know, and she's nothing. And then she turns to the, she sees it's her instructor, and she just starts crying, which everybody goes, exactly. Everybody goes, ah. So now it's like, and so the thing keeps going on, and she's trying to get her to come off stage. Come here, come here, come here. And she won't get off stage. She just stands there frozen crying, and everybody. So even if your kid was on stage, you're not paying attention to your kid. You're paying attention to this little girl. Everybody's anticipating, what is she going to do? Is she going to finally get with it and do this? And so then there's this part where they all run off stage for a minute, you know, and then you know they're getting ready to come back on stage because the music's still playing. And so she sees them go off stage, and you can still see the, the, you know, the instructor pleading for her, come on, do it, do it, you know. And then finally they have to run back, and they have to do this little tumbling thing, and all of a sudden she sees them doing it, and she, I don't know, something clicked, and she gets in line, and she does her little move, and the place goes nuts, right? I mean, everybody's, yeah. You know, it's like great, you know, and it was it was just great. And so she did it, and then at the end, she she stayed in line and she got back in line and she did the rest of it. And so when it was over, everybody it was the biggest ovation of the day, and it was just it was just so cute because it was like, you know, when you have never anticipated anything like that before, it's hard, isn't it? You know, I don't know how many times you've been in a situation where I'm anticipating a bunch of people that I've got to do a line for, a play for, a song for, or, or athletic, whatever it is, but there's all these people, and I've got to perform, and all of a sudden the curtain opens, and it's like, uh, what do I do? But that, to me, was a great illustration of what it is about the anticipation of Christmas and all of it. And there was a part of that where I didn't even care what the score was. You know, because I'm like, this is so fascinating to see what's going on here. And I was very encouraged by it. But we've all anticipated things in our lives. And sometimes they can overwhelm us a little bit because of how big the event is. Or it's so new and it's so different that we haven't ever experienced something like that before. And we understand maybe before a test, before we take a test at school, we've studied. And all of a sudden the the test starts getting passed out and we feel those butterflies. Am I going to remember all the things I've studied for? We think about going before a job interview and interviewing of these people and trying to put your best foot forward and saying all the right things and did they check my references, am I going to get the job, all of that anticipating maybe before a ball game and you know, yes, we we anticipate the kickoff or the race or when the concert starts, the light goes down and then all of a sudden you see, you hear music slowly starting to move forward and uh, all those kind of things in life. Uh, maybe you remember um, butterflies when you were asking uh, uh, someone to marry you and, and how that anticipation built up as trying to hide the ring and, and, and telling people and all those things. And then the anticipation of your wedding day and all the preparations and that special day that comes. And then you have that final uh, walk down the aisle, the anticipation. I could go on and on. And when I, as I say those things, all of you understand what I'm talking about because we've all had those moments in our life. But what I want us to think about this morning is, is are we anticipating Christmas and Advent this year the way we really should? Are we really anticipating it? Or in some cases, sometimes we get frozen with fear, like, oh, we got to do all this. And you look on your calendar and you go, how are we going to do all this? How am I going to make all these parties? How am I going to make the the kids to all these events? How are we going to do all of this stuff? And sometimes not expecting or even wanting, all that, all of that comes with this season, doesn't it? It, it comes, 25th comes. 
And as we move into the Advent and Christmas season, some of you may certainly identify with the excitement about what is to come. You look forward to it. Many of the things will be the same. Like I, I walked in this morning, and that's the same tree we had in the lobby last year. These are the same wreaths we had up last year, but I'm glad they're here, aren't you? I mean, I'm going, oh, they're up, the lights, it just looks better, because usually there's nothing there. You know, usually we have the thing in the middle, but this year's like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's Advent, it's Christmas, and so we're reminded by the light of the world has come. All of those are reminders for us. The same traditions, but it's a new year, it's a new season, and it makes it special every, every year because we're different. All of us are different. We've been through a different season in our lives. And look at how some folks, maybe you're the uh, guy or the family in the neighborhood who goes crazy and everybody drives by and slows down and go, wow, you know, but they have a big electric bill. You know, we say stuff like that. And then you have some people who don't do much of anything but what, put a wreath on the door. It's different for everybody. But I think as we think about this, some people are, are recognizing this year, you know, yeah, I know it's Christmas. I know it's Advent, but you know what? I'm not in a good place this year. I don't know what all the fuss is about. Maybe you've had a tough year. You've experienced a significant loss this year, and this can be a difficult season. What if you lived in Israel or in Palestine this year, and you're thinking about Advent and Christmas and all that, but think about what's happening over there. Whatever side, there's destruction and war and people and death and all that, and how do you reconcile peace on earth, goodwill to men when all that's happening. And in the Ukraine and other parts of the world, I could talk about that, but your anticipation of something extraordinary may be frozen right now because of what's happened in your life. I remember talking to someone a couple of years ago, and they said this to me, and it just kind of stunned me, and so I, I wrote it down, and I'm quoting. It says, another Christmas season, sure there are good things, but there are so many more stressful and frustrating things, emotional memories that go along with it. To be honest, I just want it to be over already. And I was like, oh, man, I hurt for that person. Because they really feel like that. That's legitimately how they feel. It's a real feeling. And some of you may even identify with that today. But I felt sad because I don't want it to be that way for that person. So what about you? What are you really anticipating for this Christmas season, for this Advent season? Are you anticipating something extraordinary? Maybe it's the anticipation of receiving a gift. When I was a kid, it was all about, I can't wait to get that gift. You know, you made sure all year long your parents knew what that one gift that you wanted. And we get into that anticipation. But as I've gotten older, I look forward to giving something. I can't wait for that person to open that present and and see how my kids react to that or, or whoever it is. Maybe it's the anticipation for you or your family in a new house this year. You're having Christmas for the first time in your house. Maybe it's a new baby and you're going to have you know, Christmas with the baby for the first time or the grandbaby. Maybe it's a relationship that's new and this Christmas is going to be different. A new job, a new hobby or interest or opportunity and all of those new things, it's new for you in this season of Christmas and Advent. And maybe it's the anticipation of the music and all the social activities. You love that and you look forward to meeting with those people and all of the music. And sometimes the older we get, this season can certainly lose some of its excitement and anticipation that we once had but we look at young kids like yesterday watching all those little kids get so excited about performing and it was all Christmas music it was like man it put me in the mood it helped me anticipate Christmas better and we need to think about our attitude as we go through this season is because maybe I'm not so fired up about it but there are people that are and we need to you know understand that they're joyous we don't want to be a wet blanket on them 
Well, the book that I really like is by a guy named Frederick Beekner, and he calls this book Whistling in the Dark, and he talks about the Advent season coming, and he talks about anticipating something, and this is what he writes. He says, The house lights go off and the footlights come on. Even the chattiest stop chatting as they wait in the darkness for the curtain to rise. In the orchestra pit, the violin bows are poised. The conductor has raised his baton. In the silence of a midwinter dusk, there is far off in the deeps of it somewhere a sound so faint that for all you can tell, it may be the only sound of the silence itself. You hold your breath to listen. You walk up the steps to the door. The empty windows at either side of it tell you nothing or almost nothing. For a second, you catch a whiff in the air of some fragrance that reminds you of a place you've never been in a time that you have no words for. You are aware of the beating of your own heart. The extraordinary thing that is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. Advent is the name of that moment. The Salvation Army Santa Claus clangs his bell. The sidewalks are so crowded you can hardly move. Exhaust fumes are the chief fragrance in the air. And everybody is as bundled up against any sense of what all the fuss is really about as they are bundled up against the windchill factor. But if you concentrate for just an instant, far off in the deeps of you somewhere, you can feel the beating of your own heart. For all its madness and lostness, not to mention your own, you can feel the world itself holding its breath. And I really like that because it tells us even in the midst of however we feel about Christmas coming and some of those worries, there's still this anticipation. And if we're quiet and just think about it, we can experience it. Now, you may not be familiar with Advent. Some of you may have walked in and go, uh, what is Advent? I know Christmas, but what is Advent? Is that some Catholic thing? Is that No, it's something that the church has practiced and helps us usher in the arrival, the coming of Jesus, the start, the beginning, the coming, the initiation of something extraordinary, which was God becoming a human and coming to earth. And we have to anticipate that. For those who follow Jesus, Advent isn't just any arrival or any coming, but it's the celebration of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ coming into the world as a baby. And it's not so much just the birth of a baby some 2,000 years ago, but it's about the birth and the rebirth of hope and love and joy and peace in our lives, no matter what part of history it is. We look back and remember Jesus came into the world. And it's a reminder of that, that God became a baby. That's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? God becoming a baby. How does God, why does God, why would God become a baby and dwell among us? And even if you prefer to call it Christmas time, very few see Christmas as just one day. No matter what part of the world, no matter what part of history, everybody may have special activities and traditions for every culture, and they think about maybe the different times and traditions and historical backgrounds, but the focus is very similar. It's a time to bring people together. And the coming of Jesus was and is and will always be extraordinary. And some people understand that. We think about, again, God coming as a baby. This was God saying, I need to come to my creation and let them know what it is to really be human and God at the same time. And so this time of year is special because amidst all the consumerism and things that take us away from the focus of Jesus being born and that, that, that don't necessarily recognize Jesus' arrival, 
A lot of you are here today because you do, and you want to recognize that this year and anticipate that this year. But there may be some of you here today that don't quite understand that. And my hope is that maybe this Christmas, maybe this Advent, God will do something in your heart and in your mind to help you anticipate that and understand who Jesus is better. And one of the interesting things is, is that how Jesus' arrival was so ordinary in so many ways, but yet even being ordinary, it was extraordinary. Yeah, it was ordinary because everybody's born, everybody has a mom and a dad, but yet Mary was found to be with child without a man. Yes, she had a husband-to-be, but she was a virgin. How did that happen? So it was extraordinary in the way that it came about. There's a well-known story about a famous violinist who took his $3.5 million Stradivarius violin onto the platform in Washington, D.C. subway and started playing music one day in the middle of rush hour. He was dressed in a t-shirt and a ball cap. His name is Joshua Bell, and he was accustomed to playing for packed concert halls and getting at least $1,000 a minute when he played. But during his 43-minute solo in the subway that day, a total of 1,097 people passed by, but only seven people stopped and actually listened. And he earned a whopping $32 in change that day. J.T. Tillman, who was a computer specialist, was one of the people who walked by. And he says, I didn't think anything of it. It was just a guy trying to make a couple of bucks. And I would have given him something, but I spent my last cash on a lottery ticket. When he was told he stiffed one of the best musicians in the world, he says, well, is he ever going to play around here again? And the reporter says, oh, yeah, he'll play around here again, but it's going to cost you a lot to hear him this time. Exactly one person recognized Joshua Bell. Her name was Stacy. She positioned herself 10 feet away from Bell, front row and center. She had this huge grin on her face, and she said, it was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in the Washington, D.C. subway. Joshua Bell was standing there playing at rush hour, and people were not stopping. They weren't even looking, and some people were flipping him quarters. Quarters! And I was thinking, oh my gosh, what kind of city do I live in that this could happen? Didn't recognize a famous violinist. And you know, in Jesus' day, there was a lot of people that didn't recognize that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, was here. They didn't anticipate that. But it can happen, can it? It does happen. And we don't mean to necessarily miss those things, but we do because our focus is on other things that maybe aren't as important. As I thought about sneaking a peek at my phone during the recital, yes, I did. I know you were thinking that. Don't judge me. I was thinking, how does that compare, though? How does a football game compare to a, your kid doing something special in their life? But before we look at some of the details surrounding the Savior's birth, I want us to go back to the very beginning, the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of time. And Genesis 1, 1 tells us how it all started. And you can, a lot of you probably know what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was God, and He created the heavens and the earth. There was a Creator. And what would it have been like to have been there and experienced the formless darkness and then having the Spirit of God watching him or even being with God as he hovered over the waters. Can you imagine the kind of anticipation that would bring? And then out of that darkness and hovering over this dark waters, maybe you could hear the waters and hearing God's voice say, let there be light and boom, there was light out of darkness. And then God said, I'm going to separate 
the light and the darkness, and one will be day and one will be night. Can you imagine being there and seeing that happening? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary? And that was only day one of creation. What was it like for Adam to experience being created into a perfect world made by God? I mean, we're born into the world, but it's certainly not perfect, isn't it? But Adam just appeared into this perfect world. What was it like to anticipate the creation of the animals all of the sudden and then get to name them one by one? What was it like for Adam to anticipate that although those animals are great, none of them are going to be a good helper for you. You need a special helper, and I'm going to make that. I'm going to put you to sleep, and I'm going to take a rib out. I'm going to make you a... Can you imagine waking up and seeing that special helper for you? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary... What was it like for Noah to anticipate the flood as he built the ark long before the flood? People coming by every day and go, what are you doing, dude? Are you nuts? What are you doing? Yeah, God told me to build an ark. Yeah, whatever. And they just go on with their lives. But he anticipates, and then all of a sudden, the rain comes. And what was it like for Noah and his family after those 40 days and 40 nights in that ark to all of a sudden walk out into the world? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary And what was it like for 100-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah to hold newborn Isaac after they had waited 25 years to have this baby? What was that like to anticipate that? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary? What was it like for Jacob to anticipate meeting his twin brother Esau after 20 years of separation? And not good separation. He stayed away for 20 years because my brother's going to kill me because I stole his birthright. Mom and I plotted against him and his dad. What was it like to have Esau, instead of running at you with a sword, to run towards you and embrace you in a bear hug? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary? What was it like for Joseph to have his own brother sell him into slavery and tell their dad that he was dead and never see him again for years and years and years? And then all of a sudden, this anticipation of, that's our brother. He's second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. What are we going to do? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary? What was it like for Moses to see the burning bush and hear God's voice speak to him out of that bush that's burning, but yet it's not burning? What was the anticipation like for Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, God told me to tell you to let your million people that are your workforce go and come with me and just move out? What was that like? What was it like to have Pharaoh finally say, go, leave with your people? Can you imagine the anticipation of only knowing Egypt for all of your life, and now you're just going to move out into the desert in this huge caravan? What was the anticipation like to start that move and all of a sudden look in the background and see and hear Pharaoh's army coming after you and then see God part the sea and you walk through it? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary What was it like for Joshua and Caleb to finally reach the promised land after they saw everybody for those 40 years that was with them die out and they were the ones that got to go in and experience the promised land? Was that not the coming of the extraordinary? What was it like for David to anticipate walking up to a nine-foot giant when none of his brothers, none of the army would fight Goliath, but he would as a teenager? What was it like to start slinging that stone and believe that you could topple this giant. Was that not the coming of the extraordinary? What was it like for Elijah to pour water all over the the wood several times and then anticipate that God would bring fire down from heaven and consume all of it and prove 
that he was God? What was it like for Elijah to stand on the mountain in the presence of God and watch this great and powerful wind tear through the mountains and watch it shatter rocks? What was it like to feel and see the earthquake taking place? Then fire, and then in a gentle whisper, it said that it caused Elijah to pull his cloak over his face because God was walking by and realizing all of those powerful things weren't God, but in the whisper, he understood that God was in his presence. Was that not the coming of the extraordinary? And I could go on and on, and maybe some of you identify with those people I'm talking about, and maybe some of you don't, but they're all in the Bible, and it's all how God was leading us and weaving through this story of the Old Testament into this New Testament, this new covenant, and God was doing extraordinary things, and all those people I mentioned were ordinary people. But God did extraordinary things in bringing Jesus into the world. And so the uh, Apostle John, after Jesus' birth, after Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, that John witnessed all of those except the, probably the birth, but John began to write an account of Jesus' life. And it was different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's, the synoptic gospels we call it. John's was a little different. But John wanted us to know before he starts talking about the love of Christ, the saving work of Christ, he wanted us to know exactly who Jesus was. So in the beginning of John's gospel, it sounds very familiar to the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. It was God. He was in the beginning. All those things that I just mentioned, Jesus was there. He was hovering over the waters. He was there. He's the one who divided light into night and day and, and made the animals and brought Adam. He breathed into his nostrils and made him become a live being. He's the one that took the rib out of Adam and made Eve. He's the one that experienced all of those things with all of those people. He's watched history unfold, and now that word that was God became flesh. And so John is eager to introduce us to the saving work of Christ in his gospel account, but he also wants to lift us outside the confines of history and to, con to contemplate who this son is from eternity. And the word was not only God, but it also was God in the flesh. And so he says in verse 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ is that even when we don't anticipate his coming in the extraordinary way, Maybe we've lost a little bit in our faith. Maybe we've lost a little bit in our hope of the coming of the extraordinary. God always shows up, doesn't he? He always shows up and does extraordinary things. And in doing so, he reminds us not to lose our faith, not to lose hope. And the silence will be broken by his extraordinary power and mystery to save us. But as we anticipate the first coming of Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus is coming back. There's a second advent, a second arrival when he comes, and it's going to be much different this time, but it's real, and we should be anticipating that as well. And so Matthew, in his gospel accounts, he starts with the genealogy of Jesus, and you start reading these names that I can't pronounce, and I butcher them as we do, and we kind of gloss over that as we go, let's get to the good parts in Matthew. But after he gets through that, then Matthew says this in his gospel, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And he tells us this extraordinary way. Do you remember maybe the first time you read that 
oh, so this is how Jesus was born. Was there anticipation as you read it and you were told? Was it and is it not something extraordinary the way God brought salvation to us? God becoming flesh. That's extraordinary. Maybe not by human standards as we think about the teenage girl named Mary who was basically nothing special and a, a, a carpenter named Joseph that was nothing special, but extraordinary things happen to these ordinary people. And so this Christmas and Advent, I hope all of us will take some time to anticipate Matthew's account and Luke's account and we'll prepare ourselves to receive something extraordinary. As you read those names in Matthew's account, you go, oh, wait a minute, I know who that is. That's part of Jesus' family? Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember that person. In the midst of those you don't know, you'll see people and you go, oh, I didn't realize they were in Jesus' family tree, and they are. And I hope we will not just go through Advent and Christmas this year as if it were just another season to go through and just just get it over with and move on to the new year. Through the busyness of our season, and I hope we will all stop and visit the manger where Jesus was born and not just look at it, but stay there and reflect and try to anticipate what it would have been like to have been there that night. We've got a you haven't seen that out in the lobby yet. We have this amazing manger scene out there. So at some point during this season, I challenge you. And it, maybe not that one. Maybe it's the one that you have at home. Maybe just turn all the lights out one night and just stare at your own manger scene and reflect on what it would have been like to anticipate the coming of Jesus that night. And it starts by being open. It starts by being submissive to God and what he wants us to see in this season, anticipating God doing something in a way that I would never imagine and maybe you would never imagine, but in a way that reminds us that he loves us, that he has given us grace, he has given us peace, he has given us love to transform us, and he wants to do that. And so this first Sunday of Advent, I'm going to offer an invitation, as I do every Sunday. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to Submit to what God is maybe speaking into your heart, into your life, and into your mind. And you need to the first time. And it starts by doing something very ordinary. Just going, you know what, I'm human. And I have sin, and I need a Savior. That's a very human thing to admit we know we need help. And then coming and saying, I need that Savior that came in the world for me. It starts very simple. But God wants to take that very simple step in being submissive and being humble and confessing who he is, and then he'll take you from there and do something extraordinary in your life if you let him. So we're going to offer that invitation this morning. If you have a decision to make today, I'll try to walk you through that today. But I'm going to ask our um, worship team to come on up, and they're going to lead us in a song. And if there's somebody that has a decision, I'll be right here to kind of try to walk you through that. But for the rest of us, we're going to reflect on not just Jesus' birth, but that birth eventually led him to a cross to save us all from our sins. And so we're going to take communion together. If you're here today and you're not sure what communion is, it's what Jesus asked us to, to remember his death by. It's a little piece of bread we take that represents his body that was nailed to the cross for our sins and all of humanity's. We take a little cup of juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed on that cross. And so we invite you, even if you're not a member of our church, if you're a believer and would like to participate in that, we invite you to do that with us. So after this song, we're going to have some folks that will pass those emblems to you. And you can just take those in your hand, take the bread and the cup and hold it. Take some time to reflect and then take those and uh, we'll, we'll walk you through that in just a minute. But we're going to ask you to stand at this time and we're going to try to prepare our hearts for this time of reflection. Mm -hmm.